Well, hello. Hello and welcome. Welcome to another edition of Atlas Information Live. We are going to ask if it's possible because we don't have any uh, visual feedback here on our end. If, uh, if everybody can hear us now, you can, you can't, you can't, if you, if you can't hear us, then you can't hear us asking <laughs> for a confirmation that you can hear us. But if you can hear us, then someone can leave a post in the chat saying that uh, we're coming through loud and clear. Um, that would be helpful to us because we had a strange sort of enigmatic, um, we had a, an enigmatic uh, message from StreamYard saying that our mic was unplugged. But um, perhaps we can uh, get some, everything, everything seems to be working on our end. So, okay, I can hear you loud and loud clear. Greetings from Sweden. Okay, thank you, Victoria. Okay, Jennifer says she can hear us too. Okay, wonderful, wonderful. <laughs> technology, technology. Literally 10 seconds before we have to start, we get this message saying that our mic is unplugged. Um, clearly, our microphone is not unplugged, and uh, technology was just testing us, testing our, our willpower, as it were. Uh, what do they say? Never rains, but it pours, and good things come in threes, but also do also tragedies. We, as usual, uh, wish to invite anybody who would like to participate in more than just the chat. Here is the link. It's uh, we've just posted in the chat, but um, here it is on the screen as well. If you wish to pop on like a Zoom call, you're more than welcome. We can make this as much as a conversation as anything else. As it turns out, today is our 33rd episode of Season 2 of Atlas Live. It's hard to believe we've done 33 of these already in 2022. And rest assured, I did not plan to be speaking about the law of three on our 33rd episode. You could call that coincidence if you want. Uh, that's you're more than entitled to do that. Uh, we would call that serendipity. Last week, we spoke of the law of seven. Why didn't we start with the law of three, the creative law of the universe? Why start with the law of seven? Well, it's because last week we were, we were paying tribute to the fact that we were turning seven times seven, 49. And the law of seven seemed like the most relevant, most practical law to discuss. And as we were approaching today, 
we were like, I was like, well, what should the topic be today? And sure enough, it just popped in there. Law of three. And as we were making the ad for today's live stream, that's when we realized it's the 33rd episode. <laughs> and what is interesting about the number 33 is that we have 33 vertebrae in our spinal column. 33 is the symbolic age of Jesus at the time of his crucifixion. That's a symbolic age. It's not his, that was not his actual age when he was crucified. Then what is 33? 33 is 3 times 11. And 11 is another mystical, magical number. 11, of course, symbolically represents the pillars of Jacquin and Boaz, the pillars of severity and mercy, the two pillars of love, the twins of the tree of life of Kabbalah. And as we will get into today, even though the tree of life of Kabbalah has these two pillars known as the twins, there's, of course, secretly three pillars there. And we will be getting into all of this today as we delve into this superlative law which in many ways is beyond even the concept or notion of a law. It is, if the law of seven can be said to be the organizational law of the universe or the organizational law of manifestation itself, the law of three is the law of manifestation itself. It is the law of creation, the creative law of the universe. How does the universe create? How does God create? And what's important for us, as implied in the title, of today's live stream. What is important for us is how we work with this law. Just as last week, the title and purpose of the live stream was to look at how we work with the law of seven with regards to our lives and the unfoldment of our path. Today, we wish to look at how do we work with the law of three 
and all the ways in which we work with this law, consciously or unconsciously. But we want to become conscious and aware that we are working with this law. Because as the creative law of the universe, there is no other way to create. If we wish to create change, if we long to fulfill our life's work, whatever that may be, our purpose for being, if we wish to know our being, if we wish to create our human soul in order to become one with and bind together with our being as above, so below, and wish to achieve that yug, that relegare, that two as one, bound together as one. These are all acts of creation. And since they are acts of creation, they are bound by the law of creation. They are bound by the law of three. So if we are not cognizant of that law, if we are not aware of it, and if we are not in harmony with it, Because, of course, as we shall see, the law of three, the creative law, works in both evolution and devolution. The forces of divine nature and the forces of mechanical nature operate under the umbrella of this law. We can create so-called good things and we can create so-called bad things benevolent and malevolent both are a function of creation what do we create and are we in harmony and what are we in harmony with and are we in harmony with the creative law of three? Or are we destroying everything? Are we destroying ourselves? These are all questions which probably we immediately jump to quick answers for ourselves. But it is, it is worthwhile delving deeper and exploring the breadth and scope of this universal law and seek to understand just where we are and how it applies in our life. So we have prepared a number of slides, mostly for their just their visual impact, not impact. It's not the right word. When we think of law of three, Many of us may immediately leap to this symbol of the Tao, of the yin and yang. And of course, the Tao is very much a symbol of the law of three. And we can begin our discussion of the law of three 
by looking at it. And even this visualization, which we found on the internet, shows this duality of opposites. But the thing about the Tao in its expression of the law of three is this notion that each opposite has a seed or a spark or a nucleus of, of the other. And it's their interrelationship as a continuum where they are bound eternally in this dynamic, in this spinning, rotational dynamic. And each one is, in a way, uh, eternally interlocked with the other by virtue of the fact of attraction. And there is a misnomer, the belief that opposites attract, opposites don't attract. It is the Tao that reveals this. The yin and the yang here are chasing the missing piece of themselves, which is bound within the other. Like attracts like. And anyone who practices or has experienced the law of attraction knows that like attracts like. Is that any partner that you have ever attracted into your life has more in common with you than they appear to be different. So when people are together and they say, oh, look, opposites attract, they're looking at very superficial, externalized, or a very limited subset of characteristics. In fact, they are much more alike than, than anybody knows. And the couple probably after a period of time, discover just how alike they are. That's why, that's how gravity works, mass attracting mass, and so on and so forth. Like attracts like. And in the Tao, we see that. This is also true for magnetism, and but it appears that similar poles repel one another. But that's a very superficial appearance based on a very limited physical materialistic understanding of what magnetism is. If you want to understand why opposite poles of a magnet seem to attract, you have to read Walter Russell and understand the, the true forces at work, the fourth dimensional vortex forces at work behind these so-called poles of magnetism. And you can begin to appreciate better what the reality is of the situation, the circumstance. But the bottom line is like attracts like. Having said that, so that's the external or outer characteristics of two opposites then give the appearance of opposition. So, but they're opposites. So how can they be like that they attract one another? 
This is the mystery, right? This is what's what's secretly encoded in the law of three. The law of three is, of course, encoded in every religion and spiritual tradition. Here we have Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva from the Hindu pantheon. We have the Holy Trinity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We have Osiris, Isis, and Horus, their son. Again, another divine masculine, divine feminine, and the offspring or the prodigy, the result of the union between masculine and feminine. In Tantra, normally, when people think of Tantra, they think of sex and sexuality, which is obviously masculine and feminine in union. But in fact, the heart teaching and the true objective teaching of all Tantra is to explain the creative act on the level of consciousness, on the level of the creation of experience itself. So we have a positive expression, for example, of light, a positive masculine expression of light, which must be received by the negative reception of an eyeball, but let's say of consciousness, of awareness. So consciousness must become conscious of the light. We have a transference. The expression meets the reception and we have union. We have creation, the creation of, a, of an experience. Without this, there is no creation. There, without, this, without this dynamic that you see here, there is no experience. This is the essence of Tantra. There's no sexual act in anything that we've shared with you. You are experiencing Tantra in every single moment of your life in which you are even remotely conscious, in which you are experiencing. You are experiencing Tantra right here and right now. Our voice is being carried to your ears. The image on the screen is meeting your eyes. And within your consciousness, the experience that you are having right now, no matter where you are in the world, that is a sexual experience on the level of consciousness. This is self-evident and it is beyond denial. It is beyond dispute. Without reception, of an expression through the medium of consciousness, there can be no experience. And if there is no experience, and there cannot be any knowledge of that experience, in other words, there cannot be any gnosis. There cannot be self-evident experiential knowledge, that which we seek. What we seek, we seek to acquire, we seek to absorb, we seek to experience. 
this is the essence of Tantra. It is a constructive, creative act. And as you can see, there are three elements. The expression, the reception, and the union of expression and reception, which leads to creation. This is how God creates. This is the creative law in the of the universe in its most simple, primeval form. We've all heard of the Akash, or the body of the Divine Mother, or the void of space, the black void of space. The whole universe is feminine. The whole universe is negative. And what is it waiting for? It is a blank, open book, an open, blank canvas. And what it awaits is an expression, the masculine aspect, to come and express within it. And that Akash, that prana, is brought into vibration by the expression. In the same way that the retina responds and reacts to the frequencies of light that are impacting it, which determine, which create the electrical signals and determine the image and the colors and the movements, which are then processed in the brain and get translated into the consciousness. Like the strings of a harp or of a piano which have all been tuned and they're awaiting the strike of the hammer or the plucking of the finger to produce that frequency that they have been attuned to. But imagine all of those strings of those pianos are all compacted into a single zero point of the Akash. And it all depends on how that Akash is plucked how it is struck by what frequency, by what vibration, by what expression, that it vibrates in kind to produce, to create. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, the Logos, sound, mantra, vibration. And it hovered above the waters, the waters the Akashic waters of the Divine Feminine, the Feminine waters, the waters of sexuality. We've had quite a few people uh, dropping some quick notes in the chat. We have the great, the, the thrice great Atlantean, Victoria says. Uh, she also gave us a 33... A, uh, and an all-seeing eye. She also mentioned the law of correspondence. That's related to our comment about the uh, 33rd episode, and we're talking about the law of three. Everything has a divine intervention. Nothing in this reality matrix is a coincidence. Everything has a divine meaning. Almost true. The lovers, yes. And she says, the middle path, the great marriage, 
Azazil says, uh, oh, he says, good evening, Atlas. <laughs> All right. Azazil, if you want to jump on, we shared the link earlier in the, um, in the chat. It's up there. Just scroll back and you'll see it. Let's go on to the, um, the law of three is encoded everywhere, but in particular in symbols and allegory. We see here the, uh, and as it, again, the universal law of three. So here we see the positive, affirming, masculine, expressive aspect. The negative, negating, feminine, accepting aspect. And yes, the neutral, reconciliating union, actualization, the union of the two, masculine, feminine, expression and acceptance. Expression and acceptance is unique and particularly meaningful to us in our life because when we speak about actualization or self-realization, and we spoke about this last week, where I, this mortal vessel, this, this 3D meat sack and personality, am just a 3D spacesuit so that my innermost being can be here now in 3D space. So through me, there is an expression which comes. There's that expressive aspect. So we are here to express something, to share something, to give something to the world, to others. And naturally, we go through a great deal of tests, trials, and ordeals as part of that. And In many ways, we have to accept our fate. What is in store for us, what is in store for our innermost being, the tests, trials, and ordeals that he has to endure and overcome as part of his mission of expression. And in fact, to hone and craft and, yes, hone, sharpen, clarify, crystallize that expression so that it can be its highest, best expression. Those tests, trials, and ordeals are there to cultivate that. And so we must be able to accept those tests, trials, and ordeals. There's the acceptance. And because of the law of free will, which even the gods won't violate, even your innermost being won't violate it, you as a vehicle or vessel, must accept the mission that your innermost is here to do. Won't will not be imposed on you. You have the free will to serve your innermost or serve your egos. 
So you can accept your fate or you can reject it. And as we know from our mythological and scriptural and other narrative traditions, many characters endure a great deal of suffering trying to come to terms with whether or not they are going to accept their fate. This is a great humanistic intellectual debate among philosophers, the humanist philosophers versus, well, philosophers of the Logos, really, whether or not there is such a thing as destiny or if anything, if anything is predestined or if it's all just chaos or it's all just free will, or if it's all just, right? There's, there's all sorts of different philosophical views on this point. But to, to anyone on the path, anyone who reads Shakespeare knows that the question to be or not to be comes down to the willingness to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune or to take up arms against the sea of troubles and by avoiding end them. There is, of course, assuming that assuming that we embrace the law of three, then we also must embrace the three factors. The law of three is one thing, but how the law of three actuates in our life looks like this. And the way that you draw that in a static form is as follows. This is one of the most powerful symbols in all of esotericism because it is the law of three and the three factors combined and in motion. And that is important because it is a, another law of three. The law of three plus the three factors united in union. So now you have two laws of three united, like the twins, Jacqueline and Boaz, but each twin is its own law of three. And united, they are themselves another law of three. It's a trinity of trinities. And there are plenty of trinities of trinities. For example, the tree of life itself is a trinity of trinities. And not just vertically, not just horizontally, but vertically, because you have the upper trinity of the tree of life, you have the middle trinity of the tree of life, and you have the lower trinity of the tree of life. And when all those three come together as one, you have a resurrected master. You have a Christified master. And that's what this symbol represents. It's the Christ. That is why 
on the cross above Jesus's head were inscribed the letters INRI, IGNE NATURA RENOVATOR INTEGRA, the fire renews nature incessantly, the fire of Christ. The omnipresent ray of Okidanok is the ray of creation. It is the Logos, the Christic light, which descends from the Absolute. And it creates through the law of three and the three factors of birth, death, and sacrifice. So you have an extremely powerful symbol which is ubiquitous and universal. The swastika appears in some capacity in every religion and spiritual tradition throughout time, throughout history. And it is not by accident or any coincidence that it was chosen as the symbol of power for a certain political movement in Germany in the 1930s. And that is because power is power, and a symbol of power is a symbol of power. And power can be used for malevolent or nefarious ends. It is like the Force in Star Wars. The Force has a light side and a dark side. And, or like water. Water can be used to nourish the land and grow crops and grow trees and feed the an and um, nourish the animals, quench their thirst. But too much water, too quickly, too soon, can ravage the land. And water, the incessant rolling of water over hundreds and thousands of years can literary, literally carve through rock. And we see all those river valleys that have been carved out of mountains. It is power. It is force. And it is the interaction between that power and that force and what it is coming up against. So we talked about, for example, we can talk about the crystallization of living water, the structured water, which requires rapids or baffles to become structured in living water. Those are obstacles. And the water must navigate those obstacles. It must encounter them. It must face them. And those obstacles cause a great deal of disturbance to the water. This is self-evident. If you've ever taken a kayak or one of those whitewater rafting rides through the Colorado River or Ottawa River or whatever river, and you've shot the rapids, you know that it is a wild ride. 
That water is not calm. <laughs> that water is not genteel. That water is roaring. And it is violent. And it is quite frankly dangerous. It's com the complete opposite of a mountain lake on a calm day, which is like a mirror. And yet, it is those rapids which are vitalizing that water, structuring it, crystallizing it, giving it the maximum potential to dissolve minerals and hold within it those minerals. It is living water. It is making that water come alive, those rapids are. Same thing with baffles. We've mentioned this before, that even materialist scientists, even those responsible for water management systems, discovered that unless they design their water management, their water purification systems, their wastewater management systems with baffles, the fresh water that they use in that system in order to clean and rehabilitate the, the soiled water, that fresh water will have no capacity to dissolve the contaminants. The fresh water will have no capacity to revitalize and, and clean the water because it's dead. Or it's as close to dead as it can be. And that's why you look at a stagnant swamp and it's taken over by algae and bacteria because it's not moving, it's not alive, it's asleep. It's in a coma. And anything that's asleep, anything that's in a coma is, is just fuel for uh, anything that's dead is just inviting those organisms to come along that are responsible for recycling dead material, dead energy. They feed on negative energy. They feed on that death energy. But vitalized living water, the water that has, got, that has encountered all of that, those baffles, those rapids, that violence, that, those obstacles. Now, how does this relate to the law of three exactly? Well, the water is rushing, is racing is flowing. That is an expression. Go all the way back to this. There is an expression, there is a movement. That expression is blocked. It is opposed. That's what literally, literally is happening when light hits your eye. Your eye is getting in the way of that light. <laughs> but in that process, in that process, the light is transformed. It becomes a living thing. We call it an experience. It becomes something more, becomes something greater. Like that expression of a tree falls in the forest, but no one is there to hear it. Does it still make a sound? How about if a musician writes a song and sings a song, but nobody ever hears it? Are they still a musician? Are they still an artist? Or someone paints a canvas, but nobody ever sees it? Are they still an artist? 
what makes a great artist? The painting that nobody ever saw? The statue that nobody ever saw? The music that nobody ever heard? Or the painting, the statue, the music, which others heard and felt as though they were touched by the very hand of God. It was a miraculous creation that touched the heart and soul of dozens, if not hundreds, if not thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions, generations of souls. But there's the process is negation, absorption, reception, and transformation. The thing that is created is greater than the sum of its parts, cannot exist without either of those parts. And so each one of those parts seeks, seeks out its complement in order to achieve that creation. Because they are two halves of the same whole. And that's the secret truth of the law of three. Masculine, feminine, they are two halves of the androgen. An empty glass, what is an empty glass? An empty glass longs to be filled. Buddha said, take care, you cannot pour from an empty glass. So we seek to accumulate experience. We seek to accumulate wisdom. Why? So that then we too can pour forth from our glass. But our glass that is full, or if not full, it is more voluptuous. It contains something of value now. Think of it in practical terms. Yes, as children, I'm sure we all drank from the garden hose. But it is much more common for a human being to drink from some vessel, a glass, a mug, whatever the case may be, a bottle. So we fill that bottle, we fill that vessel, and then we drink from it. And it's a different experience. It's, some, it's, it's transformed, it's changed. This is the mystery of the transubstantiation of water into wine. It is the law of three. It is the recognition that something is transformed, becomes greater than what it was. Magical, mystical, worthy of a toast, worthy of a celebration like a wedding. And again, it is a wedding. What is a wedding if not union? between masculine and feminine, between man and woman.
and the importance of recognizing that to water, which just wants to flow, and all water wants to flow back to the ocean. As Victoria suggests here, yeah, the oneness, but the water, the oneness that the water wants is to be one with the ocean. That's why all rivers and everything flows back into the ocean eventually. And we interrupt the flow of that water. We put a glass in its way, a vessel of some kind, our bodies. We are, what is it, 80%, 90% water, our bodies are? How different is the water in our bodies versus the water in the river? The interruption of the flow leads to creation. Water, we call it the, the water of life. It is the substance, the single most important substance for life, certainly on this planet. And that's why scientists look in their telescopes and in their radio telescopes and their various different instruments they're looking for other Earth-like planets. When they do that, they're looking for planets which have liquid water. That's the most likely chance they feel of finding life on other worlds. But water cannot create life unless it is interrupted. First of all, it cannot contain nutrients and cannot vitalize and carry those nutrients into, it cannot dissolve nutrients. The, the water in our bodies cannot dissolve any of the food that we eat unless it is alive, unless it is structured. It cannot, it cannot dissolve any of the minerals. It cannot, even if we, we take our medicine, we take our vitamins, pills, our supplements, we pour it down, we say some are water-soluble, some are fat-soluble, but the water-soluble ones won't dissolve in our water if our water is not alive. Everything is the law of three. And, and, and this law of three in motion, of birth, death, and sacrifice, the water is sacrificing itself in this glass. It is being, it is dying as a certain kind of water and is being reborn as a different kind of water, as cellular water, as it is absorbed into our tissues, into our cells. This water is becoming a human being. It's in process of becoming a human being. But we don't think of ourselves as bags of water walking around. We, a human being is not just a big sponge. There are sponges in nature, which are sponges. That's what they are. They are sponges. 
but a human being is not a sponge, though it absorbs so much water and is 90% water. So that water is being transformed. It is dying as one thing and being born as something else. Not only that, within that water, all sorts of other things are dying and being reborn. And that water is sacrificing itself, sacrificing its existence as water in nature, flowing back to the oneness of the ocean. The water in the atmosphere must die as water vapor, as clouds. They're just clouds. And one day, a bunch of those water molecules condense, and the water in that cloud, little it, the cloud sacrifices par- itself. And it falls to the earth as rain. Clouds birth rain. But how do clouds birth rain? From their own bodies. And how does that process take place? Condensation. And what is its opposite? Evaporation. Well, that's sunlight striking the water and creating water vapor and destroying liquid water. It's all the law of three. It's not just the creative law of the universe, it's the destructive law in the universe and the transformative law of the universe. Affirmation, negation, reconciliation. Positive, negative, neutral. Masculine, feminine, union. All we need to do is open our eyes and we will discover it and see it everywhere, all around us and within us. The creative law of the universe, the law of three. Universal, ubiquitous, and undeniable. There is no other way to create and no other way to destroy. There's certainly Uh, let's see, we're going, we have quite a few little, um, uh, chats here. Um, as Azil said, yes, we're fine, but, uh, we do use Twitch as a channel, mostly to play games and sometimes going into deeper truth. So you're saying we should, we should, we should drop Twitter and go back to Twitch. All right. As Azil also said, we're, uh, we're peaking interest. Victoria said, Hermes expression, uh, Hermes Trismegistus. She said, LOL, you call it the same as I do. I say, inhabit with my spirit in a space meat suit. The cross is an open Kaaba, the box, Saturn, fate, destiny. Um, sorry, just trying to get caught up. Water is life-giving. But too much, it can kill you, just like anything. You can die of water poisoning, yes. Uh, you need fins, you need to fins balance in everything. 
even in our bodies. You need to find balance in everything, even in our bodies. The oneness, and she also says, we are made of crystalline water in our body. I see people bless bad water with love, and the water change from bad water crystals, crystals into beautiful water crystals. And as it says, no, saying that I am on Twitch for clarification. Oh, you're on Twitch. Okay. So that's why I'm here less. Ah, I see. All right. Understood. Understood. Okay. So clearly now, this brings us to an obvious, an obvious expression of the law of three. Masculine, feminine, and union of masculine, feminine. We have male and female, man and woman, and their union. This is typically what people think of when they hear the word Tantra. And yes, of course, it is related. It has to be related because it's also an expression of the law of three. This is, again, self-evident. You cannot create a child without both the masculine and feminine aspects. Much to the chagrin of diabolical, misguided, materialist scientists everywhere who have been trying to create test tube babies and laboratory babies and clones and all sorts of abominations of nature. Much to their chagrin, they have not yet succeeded, thank God. And God willing, they won't. Because the minute materialist scientists figure out a way to not just inseminate and, and uh, at the cellular level a so-called child in a test tube, but figure out how to birth that abomination of nature out of some jar, out of some fake embryonic womb, uh, that's just, that's another nail in the coffin of this humanity. Let's put it that way. And Mary Shelley's Frankenstein would be nothing compared to the horror which would result from such a science experiment. Practically speaking, we cannot create a true human being. Unless we have all of the elements required. And those elements cannot be reproduced mechanically. So in answer to this question, awakened reflections, would it have a soul though? I don't think so. It's very unlikely. Or the soul that it might have might be uh, a very tortured soul, possibly even demonic. The lords of karma, in their wisdom, might decide that such an abomination cannot exist without a soul. It would just simply be an autonomous, uh, 
automaton, a zombie. Without, without a soul, you, 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 you can't really exist. You might be able to be animated. They might be able to physically animate the body, but it wouldn't, it would, it would, have, it would have zero consciousness. So at best, they could, they could birth a body and, and they could grow the body. They would have a body, but it would have no... It's doubtful it would even have uh, any brain activity. They would, they would hook it up to an EEG and they would re realize it's, it's brain dead. It has no consciousness. It has no awareness. It would just literally, they will have engineered a meat sack. But the Lord works in mysterious ways and that sort of an abomination and the terrible life that it would have ahead of it with no real parents uh, may be the right conditions, the right circumstances for a soul suffering in hell to pay a uh, <laughs> Excuse me. To pay a great deal of its karma. And who knows? Who knows? <laughs> Awaken Reflection says, like most people alive today, though. Um. The aspect of sexual union between a man and a woman is the creative act. The point is, if they indulge in the typical way of the creative act, they can at best create an intellectual animal. At best. To create a true human being one must recognize how to partake in the law of three in a divine way. And the divine way doesn't require 10 billion sperm to fecundate one egg. The divine path doesn't waste all that sexual energy and all that creative force in the process of indulging lust through the orgasm both male and female crystallize more egos that's what they create it's the law of three but it's inverted if the sexual energy flows down and out that's where that expression comes from by the way to be down and out the sexual force flows down and out. That's why all the demons and devils in all art are always shown with a tail. And that tail has that little arrow on the end, that little, that little triangle pointing downward. That's what you create. Every time you indulge lust, you create more lust. You're taking the creative force, the sexual force, 
and you are applying it to create more of what is guiding you. If lust harnesses the sexual energy, it's going to create more lust. Period. End of story. There is no positive outcome from orgasm. There is none. You will hear people rationalize and justify till they're blue in the face. But they're wrong. They're lying to themselves because they're being lied to by their own egos. You, you cannot activate the sexual force in under the control of the Black Lodge and expect it to create an angel. It just, that's not how it works. You cannot... F- Put it another way, you cannot feed the beast and expect the beast to become tame and to shrink and to die. You're feeding it. It's going to become bigger and stronger. And it's going to replicate, as all beasts do, as all elements of mechanical nature do, when they are fed, when they grow strong. They want to become sexually active. Because everything, it's the only way the creation takes place and it's the only way procreation takes place. Even single-celled organisms or organisms that, that reproduce asexually, they don't reproduce asexually. They reproduce sexually. They just do not require an external partner. They, they, it, they appear to reproduce asexually because they just divide. But if you look at what's happening in the nucleus of the cell, and what's happening as a result of that division, it is the law of three taking place. But it's asexual because they're not uniting with another being another creature to to create that genetic diversity but that genetic diversity is taking place within the nucleus of the cell during the separation of the uh, meiosis or or whatever the um, uh, methodology of their asexual reproduction so-called but it is sexual So we have the phenomena of black tantra, of harnessing the sexual force in a negative way using lust, using desire, to create another intellectual animal in the case of procreation, but to create more egos, more lust. In the, in the case of casual sex, uh, polyamorous sex, Uh, pornography and all the other commonly encouraged and practiced forms of sexuality in this day and age. The alternative, of course, is white tantra, sexual alchemy, where we harness the sexual force and instead of allowing it to flow down and out, we work consciously with prayer and mantra for it to flow up 
and in. Not down and out, up and in, up the spinal column, where that sexual energy can interact with all of our chakras and ultimately unite with its husband. But the sexual force is Divine Mother Devi Kundalini Shakti, the Divine Feminine, the sexual force within us. Her husband is the Holy Spirit, the Divine Masculine, which resides in the crown chakra at the top of the head. If we raise the fire of the Divine Feminine to the crown chakra, then the fire of Divine Feminine unites with the fire of Divine Masculine in immaculate conception, meaning clean, without blemish, and thereby the fire of Divine Masculine and fire of Divine Feminine give rise to the fire of the fire and the light of lights of the Cosmic Christ, the Divine Androgen. And that's what all of those symbols, representing the Law of Three, all represent. Because it is because the Christ, the Christic force, the ray of Okidanak, the ray of creation, is that divine androgynous force, masculine and feminine in union, in active union. And in accordance with the three factors of birth, death, and sacrifice, white tantra is the methodology whereby our previously comprehended egos can be dissolved, can be destroyed, can die. And the liberated consciousness and our solar bodies, our solar bodies can be born, can be created. That's the alchemy of transforming the lead of ego into the gold of the human soul. The lead of our lunar bodies, our ego-infested bodies, into the gold of our solar bodies. That solar vehicle, that solar vessel, which is required for us to be able to exist permanently in the supernal worlds and travel permanently in the supernal worlds. It is the golden spacesuit, the metaphysical spacesuit, the sixth dimensional spacesuit. So that, our, so that our monad can persist in sixth dimensional space and above and higher. Yes, we also have to develop our solar astral body and our solar mental body, which are in the fifth dimension because it's a stepping stone. We are in the third. We have to work in the fourth and develop our solar vital and astral and mental body and Finally, our causal body in the sixth. Only then do we awaken. Only then do we awaken. Awaken our consciousness because we have our solar causal body. And that is a process of creation. And that process of creation requires the union of masculine and feminine forces within us. 
and the activation of that feminine force, the sexual force, is expediated and made a reality through the act of white tantra. But if we're spilling it, if we're wasting it, then we cannot achieve it. You cannot have your energy flow up and in and down and out simultaneously. You cannot have your cake and eat it too. That is also self-evident. That's just common sense. This, for those on the path, is one of the most practical applications of the Law of Three. The application of White Tantra, or sexual alchemy. And its application is, as we mentioned, through the three factors of birth, death, and sacrifice. Death of the ego, birth of the human soul, and sacrifice for humanity. And even many Gnostics, even many Gnostics who practice White Tantra, they have that first, those first two down. They have a spouse, they practice White Tantra, they meditate, they observe themselves, they work on their egos. Again, they're practicing sexual alchemy. Everything seems to be going well. But they don't advance. And they wonder why they don't advance. And Master Samael explained one of the reasons why they don't advance is because they don't sacrifice. They, don't, they, they do not sacrifice for others. They do not give of themselves for the sake of others, for the betterment of others. He explains that every initiation is granted to an initiate by the masters based on what is owed to that initiate. Based on what is owed to the initiate. Well, how can the masters be indebted to an initiate? How, how can the universe owe you something? If you have not earned that payment, for lack of a better word, if you have not given of yourself to the universe, to others, how can the universe, which is in balance and seeks balance, Why is it going to flow to you now? The importance of this, of course, comes into play when we consider those who are selfish and yet seem to accumulate tremendous amounts of wealth, tremendous amounts of material comforts and security and power 
and influence, fame, fortune, you name it. And we might scratch our heads in bewilderment and say, wait a minute, I can't receive initiations because I'm not owed any, because I haven't given enough of myself. What is going on with these elitists and these millionaires and billionaires who have, have only sought for themselves and the betterment of themselves? And they, they, they've accumulated all this power and all this money and all this fame and fortune, et cetera, et cetera. What, what's going on here? We are not in the business of revealing the secrets of black magic. But rest assured, the creative force is the creative force. It can be used in a positive way, and it can be used in a negative way. It can be used in an altruistic, loving, giving, compassionate way whereby you have your creative energy and you apply it in the service of others. And we've done live streams about this and we did a live stream not too long ago uh, entitled How to Serve and Who to Serve. And we explain in great detail that process and the application of one's creative energy for the sake of humanity, for the sake of others. And in the process of doing so, one can accrue karmic credits, for lack of a better word. The work that one does for the sake of others is, is taken note of in the great ledger by the lords of karma. Every good deed, every sacrificial effort that we make, it is recorded, it is noted, it goes down next to the name of our monad in the great ledger. And at the great accounting, all of our works for the sake of others will be taken into account. And so too will all of the efforts made by all of those monads who are in it for themselves. Their ledger or the the entries next to their name in the great ledger will all be debits. This is the so-called dogma of abundance of the new age, which preaches that the universe is abundant and there's unlimited abundance. And all we have to do is tap into that abundance. You know, like the, uh, what's that program? The secret. And they use the manifestation of desires and the law of attraction to attract what they want. 
and they harness their sexual force to attract their desires, everything that they want. And they say that this is all fine and this is all good because nature is abundant and it's all abundance. And we're just drawing on the infinite love of nature who is abundant and just wants to give, 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 give to us as individuals. And everyone who follows that philosophy, that dogma, that mentality, they are all withdrawing from the great karmic bank and they have no deposits. In other words, they're just accumulating debts and they're transforming those withdrawals of energy. They're transmuting them and transforming the gold that they are withdrawing into lead because they're feeding their desires. They're creating more desires as they're feeding them. And they're transforming all of that metaphysical, golden, magical power and sexual energy and sexual force, the metaphysical currency of energy. They're transforming it into the gross, impermanent, materialistic substances which which um, qualifies as so-called wealth. So land, property, houses, cars, boats, businesses, companies, stocks, bonds, money, gold, assets, all of that stuff, all of it. And yes, fame and goes along with fortune these days, except for those who prefer their anonymity. But many of those are infamous in their anonymity. But they're drawing down on that, on that energy, on that metaphysical currency. This is why it's in the Bible. It said that it's easier for a, a fat man to to what is it it's easier for a fat man to ride a camel through an eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven something like that can't remember the exact quote because how can a rich man if they have accumulate, accumulated their wealth on the basis of selling their soul That's why so many of these wealthy people in their last years of their lives, they desperately try to buy their way into heaven. <coughs> they desperately try to give away all their money. They become so-called uh, uh, princes of philanthropy or whatever the, uh, the, the correct expression is there. They become philanthropic magnets. And they get their... their name on hospitals across the country and around the world. And they throw mo their money away at all of these different causes. This, is that enough? Does that work? Does that qualify?
considering how much effort those of us on the path put into our lives and put into our work for the sake of suffering humanity. We know that it's not just a matter of money. And not only that, if an individual sells their soul and accumulates all this wealth and then gives it all away, at best, at best, they're going to break even. Because if you steal a bunch of money and then give it back, it doesn't change the fact that you stole the money to begin with. You're not going to win any medals for giving back the money which you stole. You still stole it. It was never yours to begin with. So giving it away doesn't earn you any points with anyone. At best, they will, they will remain stagnant. At best. But probably in their journey along the way, they probably had to do quite a few nefarious things, make quite a few untoward decisions. Sacrifice is very personal, it's very intimate. And the things that we sacrifice are the very aspects, the very entities, our defects, our vices, our desires, our attachments, our identifications. The very psychological aggregates and elements of our subconscious, which want us to sell our soul in order to appease them and obey them and satisfy their desires. We're talking about egos, of course. But those desires can never be satisfied. So it's always more, 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 more. <clears throat> they will always find new ways to entice and enslave and hypnotize us. Unless with our willpower and our awareness and our humility, we sacrifice those elements of ourselves, that animal aspect of ourselves, and resolve to die as an animal entity, to die as a mechanical, ego-ridden, intellectual animal, to die psychologically. To put it in other words, to die before we die, so that when we die, we won't die. The three factors in the law of three are as 
they are not as important. They are more important. They are more... <laughs> Ironically, they are more material to the material world of the human condition than even the atom with its supposed protons, neutrons, and, ele and electrons. We show this not because of its accuracy, metaphysically, but because of materialist science's own admission of the law of three at the very heart of all creation, that every atom has its positive and negative and neutral elements, and that these are the fundamental building blocks of reality. An atom cannot exist without these forces in balance. And if even materialist science can make this admission, then it, it's, a, it's a, a tremendous stretch of rationalization and hypnosis on the part of ego mind for anyone to suggest that we can exist outside of the paradigm of the law of three. Earlier, we were mentioning the pillars, the twins, the three pillars. We have Jacquin and Boaz and the middle pillar on the tree of life, which is the pillar of light, which is the union between the two pillars. And this, of course, is reflected in Freemasonry. The pillars of Jacquin and Boaz, we have the doorway, the arch, which is the portal from where we are to where we long to be. We have the checkered game board, light and dark, light and dark, light and dark, the chessboard. Again, we have the compass in the square, we have the cubic stone, we have all of these different symbols that are related to the law of three. This is how Jofra Boschart envisioned and drew these three pillars, the masculine and the feminine and the union of masculine and feminine. This central pillar, we see Divine Mother Devi Kundalini Shakti, the moon, and we see the energy rising up through the energetic channels of Ida and Pingala on the left and right, but also the seed, the spark, the monad, who is has intertwined around him the united Kundalini, the single serpent, We're going to make this larger for you so you can see it better. You know what? We can just, yeah. And then, of course, we have the pentagram, the upright human being. We have the crown for the crown chakra. And we have the illuminated, awakened, arisen being.
we're going to um, take this moment to uh, just double back here and um, this is where we left off on the chats. So Victoria says, I think we all awake in our own time. We all have a journey and path to go to evolve into the higher consciousness, Atma. Just because people ain't awakened, they just reincarnate back here into the loop back here till they learn the truth. 333 and 333 to play this matrix game. They often say the, the Yod is an annoying joker. Except they only have 108 lifetimes to do so and then they fall into involution in the second death. So no, no, in no way, shape or form does everyone awaken in their own time. This is a myth. Victoria says, uh, the human, the human arborus, yeah, Ouroboros. Water is feminine too. It is creative fire, hence Sophia. Christos said, she's, these were just reactions to things we were saying at the time. Welcome to the game to play the Matrix game that you chose once to come here to learn, you to evolve. We have many bodies to work with. We don't, hence this space suit. Yes, okay. Uh, Awakened Reflection said in in um, in response to our discussion of uh, White Tantra, he said, so hard, so hard, so, so hard. Uh, no, not really. Like so many things, Animal sexuality is just a learned behavior. It's just a conditioned behavior. It's like any other habit, like any other identification. It seems like it's a tremendous sacrifice and a tremendous thing to go, to give up. But once you begin living on your path and using your sexual energy for the sake of others and you're doing your life's work, you realize there's much more constructive, beneficial uses of your energy than that. And your awareness of that, your comprehension of that, doesn't mean that the path itself is going to be easy. But it doesn't mean sexual alchemy is going to be easy because at the beginning, like anything at the beginning, it's, it's hard. Because anything we do for the first time is hard. It takes practice. It takes effort. It takes, it takes patience. But we do not subscribe to it's the so, so hard. We would not describe it this way. That's not our experience of it. Easy? No, it's not easy. But nothing, wor nothing worth doing is easy. Nothing worth doing comes easily. Victoria said, Plato, to know thyself is to know God. Christos Sophia. She also says six, 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 six neutrons, six electrons, six atoms equals carbon. You are made of carbon still. The greedy ones want you to pay tax for carbon. Uh, okay, the joker again. She also says uh, desire is one of seven spiritual destructions of the spirit. They turn it into gross matter. They cannot take with them after they left from here. Selling their soul to Samael. Uh, she had, that was referring to wealthy people. Uh, 
now money is not money, Mooney anymore, based on gold, it is fiat currency. Okay, we're not going to have a discussion on fiat currency here today. And Adam equals Adam, the square and the sun and moon and compass and the checkerboard, masculine, feminine, Jacob's ladder, the royal crown, Draconis, 108, another gematria code to crack, and nothing is free in this creation. You have to work for it. Okay. So apart from some of the things that we've already mentioned, namely uh, white tantra sexual alchemy, the question arises then, how do we live in harmony with the law of three? How else do we apply the law of three in our lives? Last week, we were talking about the law of seven. We were talking about how having cognizance of that law can give us practical guidance as to where we are in our life and on the path. Can the law of three do so as well? And what does that look like? Well, if you recall from last week, we mentioned how the first 21 years of someone's life is the is becoming an adult. And we mentioned that 21 is three times seven. Three seven-year periods. There's the law of three. To create a human being, pardon me, to create an adult requires the law of seven applied three times. That's how we get to 21. That's the first trinity in our life, three times seven. Now, you also recall how our mission, our life's work, beginning to live as our monad, as our true self, really fully begins at the age of 42, which means the second 21-year period, period of our life, it's about getting all of this typical adult stuff over with and out of our system, as it were. So if the first 21 years is to create an adult, the second 21 years is to destroy that adult. Destroy as in psychological death. To dismantle the egos and disarm the egos and the personality. So that by the time that adult reaches 42, they are prepared to begin their life, their real life, as their being. So that second 21-year period is three times seven years. Law of three again. Forty-two plus twenty-one gets us to sixty-three. 
that period of time of three times seven years. Oh, awakened reflection says, you just described my life to a dot. Of course. We encourage you to rewatch last week's lecture then. But of course we can describe it to a dot because this is the organizational law of the universe that we're describing in union with the law of three, with the creative law of the universe. And how the law of three organizes with the law of seven to produce a perfect 10, which is what everybody's life path is longing for. Everybody's monad is longing to achieve perfection, the perfect 10, the one and the zero, to be one with the alpha and omega. The alpha, omega, and union of alpha and omega, which is the holy eight. Infinity, we explained that last week as well. Union itself. When we describe the 42 and your life beginning from the point of view of living as your being, living for your being, for and from your innermost, you begin that life of service. Your true mission, your true work begins at 42. And you have 21 years to achieve what? To become a master of your work. The first seven years, you're learning your work. You're practicing it from 42 to 49. Remember, these are not hard-coded times. They're ranges, they're ballparks, these seven years. Could be could be a year earlier, could be two years after. It's, 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 these are ranges. Everybody's different. And there's leeway in here, right? So if you don't complete this by this date, it's not like, bang, you're cut off. It's not like that. But generally speaking, from 42 to 49, that first seven years, you are learning now, practicing and becoming what you are here to do. And in the next seven and 14 years, you have the opportunity to do it and to master it and to eliminate all of the obstacles that are standing in your way of becoming a master of it and becoming a master. This is where all of that old man with the long hair and the long beard stuff comes from, the wise old man. Past 63, 63 to 84 is another 21 years. These are the twilight years where you actually get to be the master and live life as a master. You've achieved mastery. And there's where the wise old man and the old wise old wizard and all that stuff comes from. And why all those stories from the east, the far east, and India, etc., and China and Japan all speak of these Buddhist monks and masters and or yogis that are, you know, so many hundreds of years old or whatever the case may be. And they and the wise old sage, they're just they're wise. They seem to know everything. And all the, the young people they go to them asking asking questions, looking for answers. Because our life is organized by that, by the law of seven. But that law of seven is organized 
by the law of three. 21, 42, 63, 84, etc. Awakened uh, Reflection says, I was 41 when I had a spiritual awakening. We believe it. And Victoria says, Oh, Cirrus, Osiris, uh, the dog star, God star. Many codes to crack. 21 also is connected. 21 equals 3. 21 is also connected to what is what in the periodic table. Scandium 44 is a chemical element with a symbol SC and atomic number 21, a silvery white metallic D block element. It has historically classified as a rare earth element together with yttrium and Thanius, Wikipedias. Okay, all right. We'll let everybody read that one. That's 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 too much of a mouthful and is really, really irrelevant to the conversation we're having right now. Um, so the law of three informs the organizational law of seven, because the law of three supersedes the law of seven. As we said at the beginning, it said, we said at the outset, the law of seven is the organizational law of manifestation, but the law of three is the organization of manifestation itself. The law of three is how manifestation comes into being. Then the law of seven applies to that manifestation after the fact, after it comes into being, or through and with the process of coming into being. As we suggested, the three times seven equals 21. But 21 is what? Two plus one. Two plus one is three. And three sets of 21 is three times three is nine. And nine is a trinity of trinities. It's three times three. And that is the duration that we have, those 63 years to achieve mastery. That is what we have. And then after that, by once achieving the level of master, the remaining years that we have is the remaining work that we have left to do as a master, if anything. If not, we've completed our work and we can we can disembark, we can disincarnate. But in other practical ways, remember we talked about water, we talked about baffles, we talked about rapids and roaring rapids and how the rapids and the baffles are what energize the water and what make the water come alive. The same thing is true for us. The obstacles we face, the tests, the challenges, the ordeals, indeed, our own egos we must face them. We must grapple with them. We must engage them. We must know them. We must know ourselves intimately. Because it is in that process that our consciousness is informed. And our being is informed. 
about what we are not. And when we know what we are not, we become clearer as to who we are. Because whatever we believe ourselves to be, whoever we think ourselves to be, is standing in the way of us knowing ourselves. So we really have to know ourselves, including the self that we believe ourselves to be. And the more we get to know that self, the more we realize it is a facade. The more we discover the egos, the psychological aggregates, the legion of egos that are an amalgamation of eyes, of desires, of cravings and aversions, which are creating this false self. The more we know that false self to be false, and the more we know the entities, the legion of eyes, which are hypnotizing us into believing we are that false self, the more we can break free from their stranglehold over our consciousness. So you see it's the water running into the rapids, running into the rocks. It's the water running up against the baffles and swirling in around itself that structures and strengthens it and makes it come alive. We speak from experience. We speak from experience when we say, there's nothing like battling your own demons to make you come alive. Truly, this is what Joseph Campbell revealed in his heroic journey, which is an amalgamation of 60, over 6,500 stories and narratives and myths and scriptures and religious traditions and stories and folklore from all over the world. Every single one describes a hero that has to leave the village, embark on an adventure, and descend into the underworld, descend into hell, descend into the labyrinth, descend into the dungeon, What to uh, go into the darkwood, to march into Mordor. It doesn't matter. It's all the same story. It's a consciousness descending into the subconscious mind and grappling and fighting and wrestling and facing the demons therein. The demons which have taken over control of the kingdom. The demons which have stolen the princess or the maiden, which is an allegory for the psyche, because psyche is feminine. The dragon which has hoarded all the gold, which is an allegory for the golden bodies, the human soul. And the dragon is the sexual force, the inverted kundalini. The risen kundalini is the rising serpent. The inverted kundalini is the, the, the dragon's tail, the dragon's tongue, and that, that, that negative serpent. The serpents which bite the heels of the Israelites in the desert. Moses raises a serpent of brass on his staff. A serpent of bronze, sorry, bronze brass, they're related, related. But bronze, he raises a serpent of bronze on a staff, and bronze is an alchemical union of copper and tin. Copper is feminine, tin is masculine. So the bronze serpent is the law of three, raised on the staff. And it is that serpent that he raises on a staff, which saves the Israelites from the serpents 
that's biting at their heels, the serpents of desire, the serpents of the inverted lust, the inverted, the uh, sorry, lust, which is the inverted sexual force. That, by the way, is encoded in all of the, in the, uh, the tales of, in the Bible, the virgin and the whore, the whore of Babylon versus the Virgin Mary. Because that sexual force, the creative force of nature, can be positive or negative. It can create a human soul. It can create a God-man. It can create a Christified master. Or it can create a demon. There's one creative force in the universe. Remember, we've mentioned this. Star Wars. There's one force. That force has a light side and a dark side. Just as the Tao is the Tao. There it is, the light and the dark. It's there in the very force of creation itself. Both have to be present in order for creation to take place. So, for us, even if we're single, even if we don't have a spouse, a partner to practice white tantra with, we have to face our demons. We have to confront them. And many of them do not want to be confronted. Fear, in particular, is a terrorist. Fear hides in the shadows. Fear lurks in dark corners and in deep, hidden caves and vaults in our subconscious mind, waiting for an opportunity to ambush us, to strike when we least expect it. And the rest of the time, fear is in hiding. Why? Because fear fears. Fear fears. Fear can't do anything but fear. And that is why fear is what's behind all of our desire for comfort and security. The comfort and security is what fear distracts us with. And it, the comfort and the security is what causes us to be lulled, be hypnotized like a lullaby that is sang to us, makes us fat and lazy, not sharp, not strong, not athletic, not aware, not on our toes alert and ready like a soldier like a guard during a time of war as samael puts it no no comfort and security ah you fall asleep at your post yes victoria lulled to sleep exactly the consciousness put to sleep but also lazy comfort and security makes people lazy and you don't you you it gives you that false sense of security. Comfort and security does, right? It's just, but it's a false sense of security. 
The comfort and security was put there because of fear. To get comfort and security does not eliminate the fear. It just masks the fear that's there. And the more comfort and security you have, the more you need, the more you want, because it's never enough. And the more comfort and security you have, the more control you start searching for. Control over that comfort and security. More comfort, more security, more control over others, because fear is behind that desire for control, the desire to control others, the desire to control outcomes, which is what fear is. Fear fears outcomes, certain outcomes, entirely arbitrary for the most part, but always self-serving. That's why fear fears death. And fear fears its own death, meaning death of the ego. How can one practice the three factors of death of the ego, birth of the human soul, and sacrifice for others if one is possessed by fear? And one is obsessed with the desire for comfort and security. How do those three factors square with a desire for comfort and security? So we have to confront our fear. We have to face it. We have to be like water running up against that baffle over and over and over and over and over again until we can finally get over it and get around it. And after that baffle, there's another baffle and another and another. Just as the water racing down that river encounters one rock after another, after another, after another. This is the path. This is the way. And each and every obstacle that we face within ourselves, that we overcome, we are creating. We are pushing forth an expression, an expression, an affirmation. And against that, pushing back against that is a negation a negative, uh, an obstacle. And the reconciliation of that situation is what releases from that circumstance, from the obstacle, that which is related to our true self and we have a reconciliation. We have a union. We have a neutrality. Because the consciousness that we seek to gain is trapped within our egos. And the knowledge that we seek, the wisdom that we seek, the wisdom and knowledge that we require in order to become masters of our lives, masters of ourselves, masters of the expression that we were came that we came here to be. That is contained in and through the union with all of those obstacles and tests and trials or, or, or ordeals. And 
manifestations of karma, our egos, which we carry within us, because therein lie the lessons that we need to learn, the knowledge and the wisdom that we require to achieve the level of mastery. This, a master must be created. There is no bullshit to be believed that we are all masters, we are all gods, we all just forgot everything, we just need to remember everything. No, no. This is wrong. This is wrong thinking. This is a wrong belief. Mastery is a process of creation. But creation comes through birth and death and sacrifice. That is the only way. It is the only way. A seed cannot create a tree unless it dies. A seed dies. A sperm cannot fecundate an egg unless it dies. The sperm dies when it fertilizes an egg. It dies. Period. There is no sperm left after the fertilization of an egg. This is a fact. And there is no transformation in this and the sperm continues, but no, it dies. The seed dies. The seed breaks open, cracks open, dies. The egg dies. When a chick hatches from an egg, the egg dies. The chick is not carrying around the egg on his back. The egg is over. It's done with. It died. The caterpillar dies. It is devoured by the chrysalis. And guess what? The butterfly is born from the chrysalis. But the chrysalis dies. This is the only way. We humans have this interesting conception that because we can draw something or we can take a photograph of something, that we can create art without anything dying. But the problem is something does die when we call that art. And what dies is the truth, objective reality, because all of our art is an illusion. Unless it is high art, in which case what we're drawing or what we're taking a picture of is irrelevant. It's just a symbol. And the essential objective universal truth behind it is not in the art. We're not trying to capture three-dimensional reality in our painting. Therefore, nothing dies. Sorry, nothing, um, nothing dies in that act of creation. What dies is the belief in the superficial nature of the symbol. That's what needs to die. Our belief needs to die. Our superficial understanding of things need to die through the appreciation of high art, through the appreciation of symbology, through the appreciation of scripture on its metaphysical, allegorical, esoteric level. Our intellectual beliefs and preconceived notions and conditioned ideas must die in order for us 
to grasp and comprehend the deeper esoteric meaning. That is true art. That is high art. That is art which is transformative and is able to transform an audience. That is white magic. But art which is entertainment, art which is mere illusion, art which is mere hypnosis, what dies is consciousness. And what's created? More ego. It's ego masturbation. Not only in the creation of the art, but also in its dissemination and its consumption. That's why we live in a world which is obsessed with content. All these streaming services, they're all obsessed with content. Because content is something which is consumed by the masses. Not comprehended, not transformative. It is consumption. And in the process, it is hypnosis. And what is being consumed is the true selves, the consciousness of individuals being bottled up evermore inside of identifications and attachments to desires. The three factors are always at work in either the upward spiral of evolution or the downward spiral of, de of devolution, birth, death, and sacrifice. Something is being born, something is dying, and something is being sacrificed. What is being sacrificed? Your higher self or your lower self? What is being born? What is dying? It is always through the conjunction and intersection and interplay of the law of three and the three factors. Always. Every moment of your life. So we have to observe ourselves. We have to observe and remember ourselves. Not just our innermost being, but our Divine Mother. Both are divine masculine and divine feminine aspects. And the longing for union with them. As above, so below. And creating the union, that monad, that awakened consciousness. An awakened human being, a true human being. That's why... The Sanskrit word yug, which is the root word of yoga, and the Latin word relegare, which is the root word of religion, both mean to bind together. Union. It's right there. Yoga and religion, right there, literally mean union, the law of three. Three as one. Just as in the Trinity, so too in us. Our innermost being, our consciousness and ourselves, our the, the mortal vessel. And at the next level, the union is between the upper trinity, the, the Christ itself, our innermost being, and ourselves, 
the mortal vessel. Then we are a trinity of trinities. But to be that, we must be a Christified master, and that is far down the path of the Bodhisattva. Many, many rounds of birth, death, and sacrifice in many, many ways at many, many different levels until we achieve the ultimate birth, death, and sacrifice, which is death and resurrection of the body. Sacrifice for humanity, as Jesus showed us. And as many, many, many bodhisattva have shown us, many, many saints, many martyrs who gave their lives for the sake of humanity in the name of in the name of Christ. Okay. Uh, Victoria again. The wise old men, women, the hermit, the seeker, the magician, the wizard, the sage, the high priest, priestess, the druid, etc. I always been but totally awakened at age 33. Uh, in my ancestral stories, they talk to Svout Woden. Um, they talk to about Woden, drank from the well of Namir for wisdom, to have it in the tree of life upside down, while he died to himself for himself. A good allegory. The Vedic teachings of India connects to our Norse teachings. Yes, they do. Woden sacrificed himself to himself for himself. He hanged on his cross, the tree of life. Yep, your iris is carrying the black sun. It has the crown of thorns around it. Be lulled into sleep. Yes, fear equals false reality appearing real. Face our 72 inner demons. Christ said you are the salt of the earth. The 13th Christ, 13 Christ. Self-mastery, she said also, a seed dies without is, a seed dies without is not watered and cultivated. No, a seed dies if it is watered and cultivated. A seed dies when it becomes a sapling, when it when it sprouts. That's when a seed dies. A seed goes dormant if it's not watered and cultivated. A seed goes dormant, but you know. See, there have been seeds that have been dormant for thousands of years and are planted and watered and cultivated and they, they've sprouted. They're called heirloom seeds and they've put them away in Scandinavia in the, um, in the seed vault for the express reason that seeds are, have that ability to do that. Awakened Reflection says, I was in a dream the other day and in this dream, my psychological mind, which is, re which, which is really this me, was desperate because it realized it came here to die. Okay. Victoria says, I am a butterfly. She also says, dogmas must die. She also says, hence, why you have to die to your old self to create a new self, self-mastery through alchemy, Carl Jung, collective consciousness and individuation and the red book. Uh, Victoria says, be the hero, Campbell, battle the dragon, authentic human being of love. She also says, binding is also a soul contract. We are all lost in the holy lost sea of the Pope in a death note. And uh, finally, yes, now 
you said that about the seed, you are right. They hided seeds here. They hid seeds here. Okay. We have come to the end of today's topic. But uh, before we sign off, we uh, open the floor to any more questions or comments or sharing that anybody would like to make. If anybody has any other suggestions or examples of the Law of Three, by all means, now would be the time to share them. Um, <clears throat> our throat is a little raw, so we're going to... Um, we don't think we can go another hour. So we don't think we can go to three hours or anything like that. But if anyone has anything else to say, we hope that looking at the law of three today, we hope that, number one, you will take some time and meditate on this. Meditate on the Tao. Meditate on the cross. Meditate on the caduceus of Mercury. Um, meditate on the Star of David. Meditate on the union of masculine, feminine, and their union, on the Christ, on the androgen, and use retrospection in your, in your conscious imagination and see all the ways in which the law of three expresses itself in your life. As it has expressed itself, and as it will continue to express itself, moment by moment, all the different ways where you have a an interaction, a union between two apparent opposing forces and what comes out of it is a form of creation and or a form of destruction because every form of destruction is a form of creation and every form of creation is a kind of destruction. And so understanding this dynamic and an appreciation of the three factors of birth, death, and sacrifice in collaboration with the law of three, as we showed in the swastika, deepen your conscious comprehension of this topic. In meditation and then observe it take those insights with you out into the world in your self-observation in your daily lives in your relationships in your experiences remembering your divine mother and remembering that every confrontation that you have is an opportunity it's an opportunity to create, and it's an opportunity to destroy. What is it you are destroying? What is it which you are creating? And allow and, and enter yourself, give yourself to the flow of that process. Victoria says, all is not black and white. It is gray when you merge the yin and yang as one. Tantra is different paths too. Tantra has two paths, white and black. Those are the two paths of Tantra. 
There is the path of evolution and the path of devolution. The third path, stagnation, is a myth. It doesn't exist. That's a myth. Because nothing in the universe stays stagnant. Everything in the universe moves. Everything in the universe, either you're going this way or you're going that way. It's almost impossible to keep on the same level. And those are the only two choices. You go up or you go down. What's, what, what gray is there? What gray is there? You half orgasm? Okay, red and gray tantra are both just black tantra. They're just euphemisms. They're just clever ways of avoiding the truth. There's only one form of white tantra and everything else is black. People who practice uh, black tantra in, invariably end up as black magicians. They invariably end up falling into uh, black tantra, those who practice gray tantra. And red tantra, whatever, that's, that's uh, an abomination of a reabsorbing the energy and this and that and the other. It's, all, it's, it's, just, it's just black tantra. It's all negative. Anything, anybody that wants to indulge and feed their lust is feeding their demon, period. You can't outsmart the demon with ego mind. The ego mind is the demon. Understand that. Remember, remember that We lost our train of thought. Ah. That's what we were going to say. It is far easier to fall than it is to climb. Remember that. There are a thousand ways to fall. And only one way to climb. With the understanding that no two people climb the mountain in the same way, there are many ways around the mountain to climb, but there's only one direction and there's only one summit. To climb the mountain, you have to go up. Period. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. To climb the mountain, you must go towards the summit. And every mountain only has one summit. It doesn't matter what side of the mountain you're coming from. It doesn't matter how you're climbing that mountain. If you're not going towards the summit, you're not climbing the mountain. And there are th a thousand ways to fall from that mountain to your doom. That's what every tragedy, that's what every... A story of, of, of great men and civilizations falling. That's what they all teach us. They all teach us the same thing. To fall is easy. It's one moment. It's one choice, one decision. One slip on a banana peel and you fall. But to climb a mountain, can you slip on a banana peel and fall to the top of Everest? No, you can't do that. It's hard. It's one hand grip and one foothold 
after another, after another, after another, after another, slowly advancing, slowly advancing, slowly advancing. And you're fighting the wind and you're fighting the cold and you're fighting eagles and vultures and 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 craggy rocks and crumbling rocks and everything else that's standing between you and the summit. And one distraction, one moment of weakness, one moment of 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 one bad foothold or handhold one lapse in judgment one mistake one error can send you falling literally to your death literally That is the reality of the path. It is far more easy to fall than it is to climb, than it is to rise. That's something that the Wright brothers and all those aviators, those early aviators, learned the hard way. Crashing? Crashing is easy. Flying? Not so easy. Victoria says, there's people that does this vampirism tantra, sharing your sexual file with someone you need to know they don't suck you dry. Yes, 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 of course. We're not here to share black tantra methodology with others. Uh, There are a thousand different ways that people abuse and misuse and steal and, and violate the sexual force and degenerate the sexual force. We don't discuss those here. It's enough to know that there are many, 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 many schools of black Tantra, many, and there are many gurus of black Tantra. They're on Facebook. They promote it. They and they're on TikTok. They're all over the place. It's countless black magicians. We do not have to spend our time and energy discussing black magic and black tantra. All we have to do is share the one true alternative to creation of the human soul and the solar bodies. The one direction and the one peak. No, no, it's good to know, but it's enough to know that if you're not practicing white Tantra, you're practicing black Tantra, period. If you're not conserving the sexual force, if you're not practicing monogamy with one partner, and you're not preserving the sexual force and transmuting the sexual force, if you're not practicing white Tantra, but you're still having sex and you're having orgasm, you're practicing black Tantra. It's enough to know this. It is so crystal clear that this is the one test that we have when we are in the astral plane to determine whether the being in front of us is who they say they are. Because many people have been duped into committing all manner of crime in the, by, uh, by beings that have appeared to them in the astral plane as resplendent beings of light. People have been met by angels and archangels and masters and so-called. 
And they've said, they've appeared to them and said, you will be my channeler and you will be my messenger and I will channel my messenger through you, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And these naive individuals who are rushing to have uh, uh, lucid dreams and awaken in the astral plane without preparing themselves, naively believed this resplendent being had chosen them to be their messenger and naively allowed themselves to be possessed by this resplendent being and began automatic writing down, channeling, There is one test that we have. If you are approached by any being in the astral plane, no matter how resplendent they look, no matter how glowing and angelic and whatever, you think they're an angel, an archangel, they claim to be whatever. doesn't matter. You know what? If they claim to be an angel, an archangel, a master or whatever, then you drop to your knees and you say, Hail, O Master of the White Lodge. Then do me this blessing and instruct me on the proper practice of Tantra. No demon is allowed. No demon is allowed. No demon is permitted. They cannot. They cannot, by virtue of the definition of who and what they are, they cannot promote white tantra. They cannot and will not instruct you in the proper methodology of white tantra. So if you don't know what that is, ahead of time then they can pull the wool over your eyes but if you do know what it is ahead of time and a being appears to you pretending to be this angel and that archangel and this master and so on and whatever and you ask them well if you're this and that master then surely you will grant me one request that I may learn the secrets of white tantra from you, great master. A demon will tell you to practice black black tantra. But the what what that being will tell you if they are a demon, is some version of black tantra. They will tell you to to uh, 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 have an orgasm. And then you know. Then you know who you're dealing with. And if the being, the resplendent being who appeared to you instructs you on the proper, correct practice of white tantra, of withholding the transformation, transmutation of the sexual force, sexual alchemy, then you know you're dealing with an authentic master of the white lodge. It's that simple. But it's the one test. It's the one test. There is no other way. There is no other way. There's nothing else you can ask. There's nothing else that that they uh, adhere to so strictly. They will lie. They can lie. They can they can come up with all sorts of deceptions. But on this point, related to the law of three, they cannot deceive because it's it's in their code. They're incapable of making that deception. That is why you have all these different versions of Black Tantra out there, but it's all black. 
There is no, there is no half and half. There is no, it's either this or that. There's no in between, but, but yes, they, they they have gray, they have red, they have all sorts of stuff, crazy stuff. Yes, the, the red cap druplas, drupas uh, of, of, uh, of Tibet that, that actually have learned and practiced how to reabsorb the ejaculate after having an orgasm. But that's also black tantra because they had the orgasm. All that sexual energy is already negatively charged. Then they reabsorb the negatively charged sexual force. It's, 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 it's all the stuff of demons. It's all the stuff of demons, black magicians. Victoria says, many people lies that the problem and manipulate people. Um, avoid the demon people too. This is why morals has existed so long to avoid the trap not ending up with be with the wrong partner, a good partner that cares about you. We are all in an age of sexual liberation. We need to be on our guard. Well, that's good advice and very true. All right, then. Does anyone else have any more comments or questions or anything that you would like to add? Because if not, then we will say our farewells until next week. Uh, once again, there is one creative law of the universe, and um, Jennifer says, through what you have shared today, I'm beginning to see how the law of three has played out in my life. I'm inspired to be more aware whether I'm allowing it to be expressed in a negative or positive way. Thank you. You're, you're welcome. This is our goal. Our goal is, as you can probably tell, right, we've said this before, there are many resources that you can turn to. Glorian.org is one of the best ones, if not the best one, um, where you can have Gnostic instructors unpack ancient scripture and the tarot and the Hebrew alphabet and, and all manner of uh, ancient wisdom and our goal in our ministry is to try to use as little of that as possible because other others who know it better have done it better our purpose and our goal is to express it in the most contemporary way possible and the best way that we can do that is express it in terms of your own life. And we can do that by sharing it expressed in our own life through our direct experience, but also using contemporary examples and uh, contemporary mythologies, modern mythologies, high art and so forth, but trying to impart to you the knowledge and wisdom so that you can apply it and see it at work in your life compared with your own experience because that is where gnosis comes from it's experiential knowledge we're just here to give you the keys that you can use to unlock the gnosis that is awaiting in your own life experiences the experiences you've already had 
the ones that you are having now and the ones that have yet to come. And if we can help you achieve that, if we can help you accomplish that, then we have done our job. We've done our work. Because the living, breathing word of God is all around us and within us. If we just develop the eyes to see and the ears to hear it. But we must seek self-evident experiential knowledge. It is ours to seek, but we must seek it. Any other questions or comments or concerns? Victoria says, glorian.org. Got to remember that. A page I missed, actually. I've been in Nag Hammadi and uh, Kemetic and other esoteric stuff and dug around. Yes, glorian.org. We highly recommend you spend some time there, Victoria. We're sure you will find it. Uh, remarkable. All right, then. Thank you one and all for taking the time to be with us today. And um, as always, have a great week ahead. And uh, we hope to see you next Sunday. You're welcome. You're welcome. And uh, to one and all, we say inverential peace. And have a good day. <laughs>